wasn't I notified? About what? You know damn well about what. You let them take it out of here. For Christ's sake, spare me the speech. I've listened to it for a decade. The fact is that Michael Myers was a federal patient and a federal prisoner, therefore he is subject to federal law. We're not talking about any ordinary prisoner, Hoffman. We are talking about evil on two legs. <laughs> I can see this is useless. Do you know what today is? Do you know the date? Every day I look at myself in the mirror and, and every day I remember. I don't want anyone to have to live through that night again. I've said this before. I think you're the one who needs mental help. Yes, Dr. Hoffman. I see. I see, thank you. Apparently, there was an accident just south of Mill Creek near the... Loomis! Loomis! After the disappointing box office performance of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch in 1982, the Halloween franchise went silent. Six years later, in October of 1988, the franchise finally returned to theaters, but the horror landscape had changed once again. Similar to how the gap between the first and second Halloween movies affected the production of Halloween 2 because of the increasing amounts of blood and gore in slasher movies, by the time Halloween 4 hit theaters, the slasher genre had reached a saturation point. In Halloween's absence from the screen, the dominant horror franchises of Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street had each put out four movies, while countless other slashers stuffed video store shelves in the VHS boom of the 80s. So how would the franchise that kicked off the craze set itself apart from the pack? If you asked executive producer Mustafa Akkad at the time, it would be to go back to what made the first movie a success. But did the fourth installment of the Halloween franchise really turn out to be a back-to-basics success? Or did it come off more like an attempt to merely copy the template of the original with mixed results? And more importantly, is it worth watching all these years later? Find out the answers to these questions and more as we continue our journey through the Halloween franchise by taking a look at Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, here in The Last Theater. Welcome to our fourth edition of the Halloween Franchise Retrospective on The Last Theater. My name is Chris. And my name is Joey. Welcome back once again, Joey. And of course, if you've missed any of these franchise reviews, you can go to cnjradio.com and find every episode on there. You can also go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcatchers. Is that the way? Is that what they call sure, them? Yeah. Pod- podcasting programs, apps, whatnot. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Just go look at everything, and you can probably find us on it. So, just starting off, what did you think of Halloween Four upon this viewing? Well, we, we did the thing that we did for one and two. We watched them back to back. Yes. Once again. Yes. Didn't need to watch three back to back with anything because right. that that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So. I think just like cutting to certain uh, wide ideas, for my opinion, mm. really enjoyed four versus five, especially when you watch them back to back. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the main thing. So I'm kind of spoiling this one and the next episode, yeah. but 
I was expecting to be underwhelmed by four and five in a sense because I I watched them all like real quick, you know, day by day by day by day when I got the Scream Factory box set. Uh That was the last time I watched them. And I have a decent memory of four. I watched it actually uncut. I I didn't actually watch a TV version this time. Oh, yeah. I saw it like on a rented VHS. Uh, I was staying... It was one of those weird things where uh, my mom was out of town. I stayed with like friends of theirs, and they had like a teenager that could babysit me. Yeah, and they did. They did me a solid. They read Halloween four. <laughs> I got to like, oh, big deal! Like nice. I get to yeah. see an uncut horror movie. Yeah, and it was always when I was staying with other people that my mom trusted that I got to see <laughs> Halloween four and a Friday Thirteenth movie here and there. Right. Whether it was at an aunt's house or what, whatever. So, so was it still pretty new when you saw it for the first time? Yeah, it was. It was just new to video. So I okay. saw it in 1989 when five was probably already out in the yeah. theater. Uh, so I didn't get any breasts. So let's just uh, go right to that. All the <laughs> resum, but uh, there's zero breasts in this. There's some side breasts. Yeah, and there's there's, no... there's almost yeah. Yeah, I, I I did the freeze frame thing just to make sure I was keeping proper stats here. Sure, yeah, it's for research and for science. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it worked on the, the basic level of... And, and here's the other thing, the relatability more so at that mm-hmm. age. I was yeah. around Danielle Harris's age or her yeah. character's age. So it's a different uh, variable. You know, even though she's a girl, I can still relate to a little kid being chased by a maniac. Right. Uh, more so than some of these other movies, because it's yeah. always teenagers or young yeah. adults. I'm doing finger quotes. Teenagers <laughs> with actors usually in their like 20s yeah. or 30s, possibly even, playing like... 16 year olds sure and danielle's playing younger even though yeah, she's older she's too. a couple years older i yeah. think than what she was playing yeah. she's what's supposed to be like eight i think in this yeah. one? somewhere around there she's like 11 or yeah. 10 or 11 yeah exactly so yeah it, it did work on the initial watch and yeah. i had a good memory of it i never forgot about the diner scene ever I knew that that was in that movie. Oh yeah. Whenever Loomis and Myers are reunited, uh, which almost seems like a dream sequence, but it it, do, it is yeah. a real sequence. Yeah. Uh, it so, is. It's played oddly to where it almost seems like because Jamie Danielle Harris's character Jamie has a sort of dream slash vision of Michael early in the movie, and it feels a little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. So they set that tone. Yeah. And I almost had a theory on this watch, like maybe there's like just this massive freaking gas leak. In this diner slash body shop, because that's what it is. Yeah, Michael turned it into a body shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I remember that scene, though, because yeah. I guess I, I was watching a lot more shows about movies, because I, yeah. I was staying up a little later. Mm-hmm. I could catch your Siskel and Eberts, and sure. I remember MTV had a movie show called The Big Picture. I still remember oh, that. Oh, really? I remember that. Yeah, Chris Connolly hosted it. And I used to watch that, and so, you know, or any other of the... Do you ever remember watching a movie on TV, and they'd show you a making a vignette about a movie? Yeah. Before, like, the next hour, because something was running short? Sometimes, yeah. I I probably saw one of those about Halloween 4. So that was at the time, like, I saw those scenes that they were like, oh, these are good for television. Yeah. So I never forgot that diner scene, and that's the one they always used to sell this thing. Yeah, because it has Loomis and Michael, so that's the hook to get people into the theaters for sure. Yeah. And it it is, it does, it's not super violent, but it's one of the, it's not the bloodiest thing in that movie, which there's some pretty neat kills later on, but it, it is, it does set the tone for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, the two biggest gory kills, uh, just, 
I, I did watch a director's commentary. Those yeah. are inserted scenes after the fact. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, they, I'm learning more and more about these as we do these. It's funny, like, look, <laughs> looking into the history of it, which I've never looked this deep into the history of everything after the first one, yeah. and to see how often they had to insert blood and gore that they thought they needed, even though every single director says, I wanted to emulate the original and I wanted to bring back the tension and suspense, <laughs> yeah. but they always end up adding stuff in later on. It's so weird. And is, I think that adds to like the uneven feel of a lot of the ones after the first one. Yeah. Because there's not a, it feels like there's a lot of push and pull from producers, writers, directors and all that. Yeah. And that might go a long way in maybe me excusing some of the Rob Zombie stuff later on. We'll yeah. see. We'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> but I do have one more kid memory of this, yeah. is that I never forgot that he attacked people in an ambulance. Yeah. And so for years, because I remembered that, and for some reason just forgot about the beginning of it, yeah. uh, the very, very beginning mm. where they're picking him up at the, the hospital yeah. slash prison hospital. And... I thought that maybe it's possible that four kicked off exactly where two left off, just to further bury oh, yeah. part three. And I, I thought that was my theory uh -huh. upon rewatching it as an adult. Yeah. Like, oh no, it's not that at all. Yeah, but it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. I mean, it <laughs> might as well have been. It does technically take place ten years later, which is ten years after the original came out because this was nineteen eighty eight. Original came out in nineteen seventy eight which is the same year that 2 was supposed to have taken place in. Yeah. So it is it is a real-time jump, and he's supposed yeah. to have been in a coma, I think, for all that time or something. Yeah, but and, he yeah. couldn't. He's pretty good at faking those things. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. haven't noticed so yeah. far. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, apparently everybody else kind of ignores this, too. Yeah. And, you know, this is definitely based upon real-life stuff, like plot points and stuff you hear about, prison breaks and... I mean, yeah, that is the sure. time for him to escape. Yeah, and escape mental patient again, which is kind of the urban legend thing that the first one played on. Sure. Um, for me, like, I don't really remember the first time I saw part four, but I feel like I always watched four and five together. Okay. So much so that I would confuse the two. Okay. And I... Scenes. I don't want to talk about five yet because we have a show sure. for that. But that'll but, give you a better memory of five. Yeah, but I would confuse <laughs> scenes from five thinking that they were in four, specifically some of the first person view stuff. And I thought the ending of four actually happened in five and it didn't. Oh. So that's why it's but, you all know, jumbled in my brain. That's kind of the studio's fault too because yeah. they have her wearing the clown suit on the cover of five. That's, yeah, that too. The, so, I'm going to blame it on them. Yeah, the clown suit, she wears that, not the exact same one though, I don't think, maybe. Yeah. but It's similar enough. Yeah, similar enough. She wears it in part four, but I think it's kind of like the end game when the posters when they had Thor you know spoiler he was fat in Endgame and so they didn't want to give that away so right. maybe or maybe they just didn't have production photos of her in her princess costume in the second one by the way what clown outfit do you know if you're going to a Halloween store to get that clown outfit yeah and, and now you probably can't even find a real clown outfit yeah. without it being evil clown or yeah. Pennywise or whatever but that being said what clown outfits you know come with a Lone Ranger mask? Right. <laughs> like, this happened both times, apparently, within the course of a decade. <laughs> that doesn't make any kind of sense to me. Like, you leave the face open for the clown makeup, right? Yeah, you would think so. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. It's but just for lazy parents. Well, the, the, the parents in these movies don't exist, so it's like, here, just have a mask, and, no makeup. And yeah, I know what people out there might be shouting directly right now into your iPod or whatever device <laughs> you're listening on. I realize that the 
it was a combination of things in the original. Yeah. Because Michael was wearing a clown outfit and with no Lone Ranger mask. Picked he, up the mask in the yeah, house. Yeah, he got it from the thing. So why now? Okay, now tell me, is this an actual, like, goodwill donation? Like, we're just going to get rid of this shit? Because that's the original family donating the murder thing. They sent it to the cleaners and they and it wound up in this dollar store, like, ten years I, later? I was thinking it just popped into my head. Maybe it was intentional and they knew that Michael back way when he was a kid that he murdered his sister in that and you see the michael myers mask people are wearing them multiple times within part four and there's and a whole five, scene yeah. yeah and there's a whole scene where um rachel who is jamie's foster sister are being chased by who you think is michael myers it turns out mm-hmm. to be a whole bunch of kids and michael yeah. myers mask like ben tramer in part two yes so big clearly, call back to that yeah clearly they're still selling those masks maybe that was like Maybe there are some people in this town that are like, ha ha ha, this is funny, and they take the, the, the murder kid's costume and they, they now sell that. Yet there's so many people not on board with the theory of Michael Myers still. Yeah. I get that you have to have a little bit of push and pull. Yeah, because one of the kids in the movie is like, who? Like, what? Yeah, and like, <laughs> like the dude, like, what? But clearly people of his age are in on it. Yeah. and But apparently the adults who were 10 years younger, like, yeah. are they just like, is it one of those things where you just choose to forget like maybe yeah yeah it's i mean when you think about it it was one night and yeah it was a big deal and it is a small town so you think it would be a bigger deal for these people especially the adults because 10 years isn't that long for an adult right for a kid it's an eternity right so you can kind of excuse the teenagers in this movie not really caring or knowing yeah Um, even that whole like i swear like there's a movie or a tv show and i forgive me that i can't remember this but it's like we don't celebrate halloween round here like (laughs) this would have been perfect for the town to have like embraced that part of it yeah you know or unembraced right. <laughs> so I, I and please if someone can remember this like please let me know but yeah. it's like yeah we don't celebrate that because of the, some... say, like uh the, my bloody valentine i think the, they didn't celebrate valentine's, valentine's day because of murder or something i'm pretty okay. sure that's the case i don't know i may cut all this out if i, I don't know yeah <laughs> so anybody yes please interact with us please right. so we're just doing this on the fly <laughs> Um, but yeah, so overall, I, like you, I do enjoy the return of Michael Myers much more than part five. And it, I think kind of like watching one and two together, I had a good memory of part two, like watching four and five together. I now have a much better memory of part four than I do of five. And it's really, there's a huge difference in quality, I think. Um, but this was the first one where... John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were completely uninvolved. They had sold their interest in the franchise at this point because Carpenter was actually approached to help with this, and he enlisted uh, someone to write a script for it. It was a guy that had worked on some of the novelizations, I believe. So he had done novelizations of Halloween's Part 2 and 3, and he did a novelization of The Fog, so he had worked with John Carpenter. Carpenter got this guy. His name was Dennis Etchison. But Mustafa Akkad did not like the script at all. said, nope. And so Deborah Hill and John Carpenter were like, all right, well, we're done. Like, we don't want any more of this. Yeah. Give us money. You can have have your way with the Halloween franchise. Yeah, because clearly they were going to do what they were going to do. Yeah. And he had learned that over the last two movies. Yeah. Uh, the hard way, I guess. Yeah. So. <laughs> and I'm not saying bad things about Mustafa Akkad because no, I think he's business. great for having carried this franchise and he i think he was right in the fact that he wanted to bring back michael myers to the series 
ultimately because yeah, not, not from a creative standpoint but definitely for a business and yeah for and, a franchise and, and, and like a crowd pleasing listen to the fans kind of standpoint because at the at that point the fans would have been like yeah bring it back yeah because this was the era with i just mentioned earlier friday the 13th and i brown elm street which were based on the killer it was jason and freddie and i mean michael myers clearly has the potential to be uh, an iconic slasher and even though his movies i don't know if they really hold up next like the franchise we'll talk about it when our wrap-up thing oh yeah i'm not sure how much the halloween franchise stands up to those franchises yeah but the character of michael myers himself i think is a fantastic character if you treat it right yeah Yeah. if you gotta treat it right you can't uh, well i'm gonna save that one I'm going to save that one for Rob Zombie's Halloween. Not saying it's always done right, but the character is a very good character. Um, <laughs> I but, like when you lean in like Don Johnson and the <laughs> Django and Chain. I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, to get that one in. <laughs> yeah. So, talking about a little bit more behind the scenes, we'll get I'll get all the behind the scenes stuff out and we can just start talking about the movie itself. Oh. But the director, the directors of a lot of these movies didn't really do a whole lot before. Yeah. And most of what they do afterwards is like TV. Yeah. So it's like workman kind of uh, directors that are there to do a job yeah. is basically how it feels. I actually watched a commentary for four mm. uh, and prior to this, and he actually said, I was real lucky to get it. Uh, yeah. He goes, I did like this art film by myself, yeah. and it got some attention overseas. It wound up on Mustafa's desk, and wow. somebody yeah. put it there that I, I don't remember if he knew the person that did it. He goes, but... I mean, I just got lucky, and I embraced it, and I'm a fan, and I just, you know, want to do good. And he, uh, once we theorize some of our stuff, he actually has his own theories about, okay. you know, because directors get to have opinions on their material. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. With, but at the same time, you've got someone like a Mustafa Akkad being like, okay, this is where we're going with the character. Yeah. So In a movie like this, it's definitely, like John Carpenter in the original, he was able to do what he wanted because that was part of his negotiating tactic at the beginning. Yeah. Like, you give me this money to make this movie, I'm going to make it like I want. Yeah. But... At this point, Mustafa Akkad owns it, and he's like, this is what we're doing. You have to work within my guidelines. Yeah. So it's yeah. different ways to approach a movie. Yeah. Um, but the director's name was Dwight Little. Um, afterwards, the only things that you may recognize that he did were Rapid Fire with Brandon Lee. You know, oh, yeah, it was yeah. good. I know you're a fan uh, of that one, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I like all Brandon Lee stuff. Sure. Yeah, Rapid Fire was the first one I remember him in specifically yeah, that was kind of his big coming out movie, yeah wasn't it yeah. yeah he did like a couple before like laser mission which is like super low budget so if you go if you go to a signing and he's gonna be there you're bringing rapid fire not halloween 4 just just to kind of be like hey yeah, probably <laughs> yeah see yeah. yeah and he did the phantom of the opera the one with robert england oh you know i've still never seen yeah, that that's yeah. on the list i've never seen those weird adaptations from the 90s yeah i haven't seen that and i haven't seen robert de niro as frankenstein i haven't yeah. seen those weird uh, anyway <laughs> that'll we should do a series on that maybe in the future that'd be cool yeah and then the the writer that they did end up getting is a guy named alan mcelroy and he really didn't do anything before this either but some of the stuff he did work on after that he did rapid fire as well he teamed mm-hmm. up with little again he's friends with that, the director yeah uh, that they uh they got together because that impending writer strike that was oh, that yeah, year you were telling me that he yeah. goes i could sit down with this guy and and get a a decent script in a short amount of time so that's why he wrote this yeah apparently they had he had like 11 days to pitch write or pitch draft and get a finished script before they started shooting or the writer strike or whatever happened something like that so yeah sorry to interrupt no i did i didn't need to bring that one in uh but some of the stuff that i know that mcelroy wrote rapid fire spawn movie 
Um, the 97? Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. One of the movies that is often cited as one of the worst of all time, Ballistic X vs. Sever oh. with uh, Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu. I know of it. I've never seen I it. I don't like it. It's stupid. Okay. It's fun, though. Well, I am, you know. But I, I like Banderas don't... and Lucy Liu, so. Fair enough, yeah. yeah. Um, but one movie that I know we both like, Wrong Turn, he did that um, oh, a little yeah. more than a decade after this. Wow, yeah. I haven't so, seen that in forever. Yeah. It's real know. good. The first one's good. I don't know about the rest of them. But. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. So, I don't know for the franchise review. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Once we start doing like Wrong Turn, yeah. like we definitely would have done Saw by then. Oh, so. I don't know. I'd probably do Wrong Turn first. <laughs> oh, oh, please promise me this. Okay. All right. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so the basic plot is it's 10 years later. Michael escapes again. Jamie Lee Curtis did not want to do the movie. She was getting higher budget stuff at the time. She really didn't want to go back to this one. It's like Fish Called Wanda with some like comedic geniuses or Halloween 4. Yeah. She did. She was cool about uh, her likeness though. I heard yeah. they said that she was very cool and very nice about yeah. all Yeah, so that. you see her in the movie because Jamie, played by Danielle Harris... A little is, nod there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> that character is supposed to be called something else before, but they changed the name to Jamie because, obviously... And, and if she hadn't been cool with it, then she wouldn't be called Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> but she is Laurie Strode's daughter... And Laurie Strode is dead in this timeline. So this is still the original timeline. This sure. is still uh, connected to part one. There's no deviation in the Myers movies yet. Yeah, because I, init- I immediately said to you, like, wait, wait a second. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, this isn't going to count later. Yeah. <laughs> there are some sort of, like, back steps in, yeah. in that... Loomis and Michael, neither one died in that huge explosion in the hospital in part two, which, okay, like, Loomis came out with a a funky looking scar on his cheek and that was it after being exploded. Yeah. But by the way, apparently like the makeup changes, they, they talked about that in the commentary. They're like, it was really over the top and we did that first shot of him at the police station. Yeah. It's called the button scar. Yeah, it's like a little this circle button on in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And it goes, it kind of dials down as we go. It goes, yeah. but that was a, that was like one of the earliest things that they shot. So they yeah. changed it. Goes, well, it just it's it was just kind of ridiculous. So. Yeah, it's it's fine. It doesn't matter. It was actually because he took a ride with uh, that crazy preacher guy, so he laid hands on him after the car ride, <laughs> right. and kind of got a little bit of that going on. Yeah. So that's all. all, right. all I'm gonna, that's how I'm going with it. <laughs> So Jamie is living with this foster family. Rachel is her foster sister, as I mentioned. And basically the whole story centers around Rachel has to babysit Jamie on Halloween night because the parents are jerks and they're like, you got to do this. Like, I don't like, this is what happens. This is what you have to do. So there's this whole love triangle between Rachel and the sheriff's daughter, Kelly and Brady, who seems like a nice guy, but turns out to be kind of a jerk towards the second, third of the movie or like two-thirds of the way through the movie right right and so yeah and then they just all end up in a house and michael myers starts killing them one by one yeah yeah i i I don't mind the structure of how everybody gets from point a to point b yeah it makes enough sense it makes less sense when they all end up in the house because loomis teams up with the sheriff again and the sheriff's like i don't know if i believe you but i'm gonna believe you enough to go with you there was at least less resistance yeah uh, and that's one thing i like about the halloween movies is that the local police are understandably skeptical, but they take the warnings enough to go ahead and go with them and say, well, if you make me look like a jerk, there's going to be some consequences maybe, like I'm going to give you a stern talking to, yeah. but otherwise we're going to go and protect the, the townsfolk. 
And you, you got to think that, and I've never been like privy to what goes on in every local police station. Yeah. But, you know, it seems to me there's got to be that one wacky loose cannon. You don't get a guy like that ever in yeah. these movies. Yeah, like, that's true. Like, like the, 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 uh, the, the high-end sheriff, you know, mm. he's the alpha, of course, yeah. and he would have to be. But, like, everybody seems to be kind of bumbling, you know, yeah. or and or just like, mm, I'm just going to yeah. play it straight-laced. Like, there's not one colorful character besides the sheriff. Like, they're not meant to stick out there there right. for cannon fodder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, worst deputy, prob- I'm going to call him a deputy. Sure. Uh, they're all deputy maybe in the history of the slasher genres that I can think of is in this movie. When they get to the house... Uh, Michael's been hitching a ride with this guy, oh, by the yeah. way, because he's in his back seat. <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know, man. I think I'd be checking the back seat every time, just because yeah. I've seen enough of these movies. So if I became well, a yeah. cop in my later years, then that's what I'm gonna do. But he gets back to the car to get his shotgun because he's gonna, you know, go to the, you know, sit, sit in the chair with the yeah. shotgun aimed at the door. Sure. Uh, and then he notices the door's open. Yeah. No, I close that, and he just stares at it like, huh. It was like Annie in Part One, where door was locked she went to get the keys yeah. opened it without using yeah. the keys and you're like why didn't you realize that but that's that's a tell and that was really very well done and well crafted in the original and this one it's like you're an idiot yeah. whereas in the first one it's like oh my god this is scary so yeah. th- there's that difference of execution he's literally going into a house where they're gonna lock it down they're yeah. gonna nail shit shut yeah get the deadbolt going on yeah. and he's like Maybe I ought to say something. Ah, yeah, I don't exactly. want to rock the boat with the sheriff. So he's and he doesn't do anything. He just sits in that chair, like he just yeah. like kind of rocking. And yeah, like, and he doesn't do anything. Yeah, until he plays musical chair with uh, with old Michael there later yes. on. <laughs> it's a great, by probably the best kill slash reveal for my money in in this movie is that scene. I really dig. Yeah, how like you go? Cool. Wait a second! No, he's oh no, he's not there. He's not. No, he's in the chair. Like that's really well done. Well, because he was that cop was in that chair for such a long time. Like there was one point where we both were like, he's dead. He's certainly dead. <laughs> yeah, and he wasn't. Not, and he's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the whole arc with that cop. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I like that part about it. Yeah. So man, he, he like did so little that we thought he was actually dead because he just doesn't <laughs> do anything. Uh, but talking about kind of the the legend of Halloween within the movie and like outside the movie, yeah. I want to touch on that just a bit because I thought something that one of the param not paramedic but the police officer or whatever that was watching over the in the hospital at the beginning of the movie, right? He's the exposition guy. He's telling the story for people that have never seen a Michael Myers movie before. Yeah, yeah. like that was his whole role. And so this crazy character actor guy that I've seen in like tons of stuff and he's probably been in like an episode of every show that's ever existed but he says he's talking about 10 years ago when Michael Myers the guy that they have that they're about to transfer uh, murdered all these people and he says that the shape or actually he says Michael Myers I think they don't say the shape but he says that Michael killed like 16 people 10 years ago and I've been keeping track of the kill counts and that's not entirely accurate. Ooh. So unless there's people that we didn't see that got killed, which when we go to part five, that's a very distinct possibility because there's someone who said that someone died in the original that we don't know if he's connected to anyone that we actually saw. Right. But he says in this one, 16 people. But when you go back and look, there was actually only 13 people total between part one and two that Michael Myers killed. Okay. There are more people that died but the ones that 
Michael killed in 1978 were only 13. He's probably counting Ben Tramer and the two dogs. Uh, if you, yeah, basically, <laughs> like, it is only 16 people if you count Judith and the two dogs in part one. Oh, okay. Like, that's the only way it reaches oh. 16. All right. But that doesn't, that doesn't count. And um, Jimmy and Bryn Tramer do not count because, as we determined, Jimmy lived in part two. He just got his head, he just got a concussion. And Ben Tramer was not caused by, I mean, if anyone, you can attribute that to uh, Dr. Loomis. He probably killed the caretaker of the cemetery because those guys always die. Maybe, I know we yeah. see him in part one. Yeah. But I'm telling you, man, he had a scene where he was drinking out of a flask and Michael killed him. <laughs> cutting yeah. room floor. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if I, I've been going back and reading some of the Fangoria articles that were printed like when these movies were released. Yeah. And in the article that was talking about the movie like right before it came out, the 1988, it was a December issue, so it probably came out in like early October. Yeah. Um, it says that Michael killed like 26 people in the first two movies. I'm like, how? No. <laughs> like, you did no research for this thing. Joe Lewis is 137 yeah. years old. <laughs> so, going back to like talking about the legend of Michael Myers, I think by this point, it's 10 years after the original. People haven't seen Michael Myers yeah. since 1981. It's been seven years. So, in that time span, you see in the town, in the movie, people are like, it, it grows to this urban legend status, but it also kind of does in real life. The people are blowing up the kill count in the movies. They're making it seem like the original is bloodier than it was because there's almost no blood in the original. Right. And that's one thing that happens with a lot of these older slasher movies. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the example I always go to. People say how bloody it is. It's not. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's gross as all get out. Yeah. But there's not a lot of blood. So I just thought that was an interesting parallel. And it really works for the movie, too, because the original is such a testament to the urban legend thing, the boogeyman. The mm -hmm. uh, the second one with the razor blade and the candy on Halloween night and all of this stuff, it keeps popping up. And so it kind of pops up again in a different way mm -hmm. in this one, which I think is actually kind of cool. Even though it seems like a mistake in the movie, mm -hmm. it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So just talking about like the, the like plot points, they are kind of similar to, I think, the original, and that was the intent, um, if not the execution. But you have Jamie, who is an orphan, and near the beginning of the movie when she's in school, there's that scene where the kids in her class are gigantic buttholes. Yeah. Like, calling back to the, the scene with Tommy in sure. the original, like, he's going to get you, he's going to get you. Right, but... But man, this time, this it's, is... you're an orphan, your parents are dead, you're an orphan, yeah. you're an orphan. I mean, it's dialed up to the point yeah. of ridiculousness. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure kids were like that. I went to elementary school at some point in my life. Uh, yeah. But I never heard something like that. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's happened, yeah. you know? Tell people they smell or something. Or, <laughs> right. Hey, didn't you wear that shirt yesterday? I mean, like that kind of shit. Right. Like, yeah, man. I, I, but then again, if I I don't, if I knew anybody that was like that, I didn't know them to right. be that way. So that's kind of one of those things, I guess. They just tell them, don't talk about it. But obviously they knew before she did. She almost kind of acts surprised later on that it's, a, it's her uncle. Yeah, that was... So that's something that I'm not clear about even on this viewing. 
is how much she knew. She obviously knew that Lori was her mom right. because she has pictures of her. Sure. Um, but they don't really talk about how much her foster parents told her about mm. what happened and with Michael because she wasn't. She was born like three, two, three years after that all stuff all happened. Yeah. But I think Loomis actually did hip her to the stuff. I, I'm going to say that he's the one that really clued her in. But he wasn't really with her then he mm. he comes in he because he chases michael or he chases the ambulance and figures yeah. out like he knows that he's going back to haddonfield sure um so maybe maybe he had contact with her he definitely does in part five well yeah, yeah. but uh, it's i don't know it's just a little bit unclear so that scene in the beginning when she has that dream and it's michael in her closet yeah. it i'm not sure what to make of that yeah. it it's like this mystical connection that she has in the next one. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about that. But in this one, it just feels like, I don't know, it feels like she has to know about him because yeah. otherwise, why would she dream about him? Right. Okay. Um, so it's it's a little unclear. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of unclear in the movie to me as far as like motivations and whatnot. And I don't know, what do you think about the whole love triangle thing? Do you think that was even needed for, or do you think it was interesting enough or did it just kind of fill time to, to bring in more people to get killed? No, actually, I think the director convinced me on this one in his commentary mm-hmm. is that he laid a lot of track uh, grounded in reality. Yeah. So by the time that everybody was in the house, you at least felt something, whether it was right or wrong for these people. Yeah, uh, so, and you know, it's, it's having a teen thing in there helps the demo. He sure. didn't say that, but I'm sure that's one it, of the I mean, things. This, these movies are for teenagers for the most yeah. part, especially then. Yeah. I mean, that's that's who these movies were absolutely yeah. made for, so you had to have them in there doing yeah. what teens do. And he defends Kelly's character as not being a garbage person, but um, I think we're probably going to have to give that reward uh, out to her, uh, maybe. But he, yeah. he defended the character saying, you know, she's just... Uh, she basically just told you everything about her so she's self-aware enough yeah. and she's strong enough in her approach that it doesn't make her a garbage person because usually garbage people in movies are kind of aloof and they have no ability to see how odd and peculiar they are yeah or if they do then they're really over the top about whoa look at me yeah and they don't <laughs> care that they're a, a bad person yeah um if any like so talking about that it, it kind of reminds me of how people react to, I'm going to make another reference, to Starship Troopers. Denise Richards' character, mm-hmm. uh, Ibanez, yeah. like, she dumps the main character. And for a long time, like, I thought, she's horrible. I hate her. Right. But watching it as an adult, I'm like, well, she was, she's just being, like, that's who she is. They grew apart. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> really see her as being a bad person anymore. So in this movie... I think initially you see Kelly Meeker, the daughter of the sheriff, who... So short version of it, um, Rachel is going... Supposed to have a date with Brady, this guy that's handsome and works at the drugstore or whatever. And she can't do it because she has to babysit Jamie. Brady ends up going to Kelly's house and making out, and Rachel sees him. And he's like, oh, I don't know what happened. You weren't having a date with me anymore, so I don't know. I did this instead. He basically said he got mad, like temporary insanity. Like, I I was pissed off. I got mad. I I didn't know what I was doing. And so, to me, watching this as an adult, I'm like, Brady's the garbage person in this situation. And Kelly, while she's not... A great person because she doesn't really have any remorse right. about doing it knowing that they had a thing yeah um it's she's still less of a garbage person than brady is ah here's our twist brady yes. gets the dupe <laughs> wow so brady is the garbage person and it's easy to 
uh, paint him as one too because he's kind of one of Days of Confused also. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> right. like I can't see him not be like that guy's kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So yeah, I think that's 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 good and official right there. <laughs> so Kelly, you uh, you are you are given a pass. Yeah. And uh, it's all Brady, and he's really the only one. I, uh, that I could think yeah, of. Yeah, there really isn't another one in the movie because everyone else doesn't really stay around long enough for us to get attached to them. Obviously, well, obviously as a, a mini uh, award, one of the kids playing a fake Michael Myers that actually gets yeah. killed. Yeah. Like, like, those guys are garbage people and one of them actually did die, so... Well, are you talking about, like, the rednecks going... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't, Let's I talk don't... about the rednecks. Yeah. <laughs> so, they might be garbage people, actually. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. So, after a while, when Loomis and Meeker, Sheriff Meeker, have teamed up, there's a newscast on in this bar. And the guy behind the bar is like, hey, everybody shut up, listen to this. So, like we were saying earlier, the town is kind of traumatized to a certain extent by yeah. what happened 10 years earlier. Everyone in the town knows about Michael Myers. Right. So, when they're saying on the news that Michael Myers escaped recently and he might be back, and the dude in behind the bar is like, alright guys, get your guns, it's time, it's finally <laughs> happening. Yeah. Like, like, shut the bar down? Yeah. Oh, now they're pissed. Like, immediately, upon like five seconds of listening to this news thing, he's like, alright, we're forming a posse right now, get yeah. your guns, get in the trucks, and let's let's go shoot some things. They had the three of the four trucks lined up right next yeah. to each other outside the bar, everybody knew which truck they were going in, it's like and they who do, was standing up and yeah. who wasn't. They do lynch mob drills, because instead yeah. of fire drills in this town, it's like... Yeah. I will say I will say that this movie without the inserts not very gory. Uh, yeah. The director talked about that in his commentary once again. He said I had it was always like kind of the aftermath. He painted a lot of uh, yeah. pictures of what Michael had done, but he let your brain decide like how violent and, sh- yeah. and how much of a struggle it was right before right before you got there and he's talking about the diner of course yeah. he's talking about the police station when he just fucking houses that place yeah. apparently the ambulance yeah and the ambulance of course you yeah. see you, you get to see that but you but don't see it happen you, you, you see, see the first one but you don't see that what happened to the rest of them right so there's a lot of like post violence yeah so that's kind of neat and that's not always the thing in these movies yeah that, that's usually Especially not very at this point yeah. yeah it's not very fan friendly but it's definitely more so of a let your brain do it so i think the intention but they still of, add a lot especially oh, towards sure. the end of the movie oh well of course yeah you gotta you, know. you don't gotta i mean okay it, you don't gotta chris yeah it, it kind of undercuts the intent i think if you do that yeah. in the last part of the movie you yeah. know but it also builds up to a, a big actiony climax which can be good you know yeah so yeah the that house is bitching by the way if we're yeah. gonna talk about sets sets by the way yeah good job on these guys because yeah. they filmed it out in freaking utah yeah and i think the title credits are awesome yeah they're I've... cool they're a big departure from anything that we'd previously seen because yeah. the pumpkin had been in the first three and this one there's no pumpkin and yeah. there's kind of there's like this the imagery there's uh it's like a mailbox with what looks like a cutout of a skull or pumpkin i can't yeah, tell yeah. what it is but it's black yeah. Yeah. On the so it's kind of an homage, but there's not that jack lantern on it. Yeah, and I and there's the and there's the two story house in this. Such a cool looking house. Yeah, and it's got it's got like old stuff in it still. You know, yeah. like you know, but it's also got that kind of like lighthouse looking side part of it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. and the extra windows and that killer staircase area with the window and like the yeah, moon comes right cool. in. And obviously the director knew what he had because the, oh, the he, framing of the because. 
Michael and Brady end up on that. Yeah. That's where Brady gets it. He and was then, like, as soon as we walked in the house, I'm like, he is going to be choking somebody <laughs> or hanging somebody yeah. right behind that, with that window right behind yeah, him. Because it's a nice so, silhouette. And yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. Yeah. So, and it's it's one of those, it's enough of the two-story kind of thing is that you kind of get lost in it. So you're not sure where everybody is either. Yeah. So it's nice and confusing. It so. is, yeah, that's true. Because we don't really ever see it in the light. Yeah. Like, because the first time we see it is when Rachel walks up and Brady and Kelly are in there. So it's all dark and they just have yeah. the fireplace going because they're making out. Yeah. And they it, will... it's never lit. They always keep it dark. Which, why, if you're going to protect a, a child and a teenager... It, why would you turn all the lights out? Like, yeah, you're not setting a trap yeah, like in five, so yeah. that doesn't make any sense to me either. Yeah. You know, it's like no, have the freaking lights on yeah. because oh yeah, by the way, where does the boogeyman come out of? He comes out of the shadows. Right. I realize no movie if you do that. Yeah, but yeah, it does lack logic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's let's light some fire. Well, we already got a fire lit because yeah. you know they were trying to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just like oh no, we we're just reading by the fire. Yeah. I love that. I like uh, that. She's just in a shirt, like no pants. <laughs> no, she's Winnie the Pooh in it with no bra on either. <laughs> yeah. And with, with those things, right. it's a little noticeable. Yeah. You got, the, oh, anyway. the sheriff knew. He knew. And he, oh, he, yeah. he warned Brady. I like that scene. Oh, he's, he's in like, denial. I mean, yeah. he's not in denial, but he's a little bit in denial yeah. for sure. Yeah. So also think it should probably ain't the first or he wouldn't have been the first anyway sure. <laughs> not slut shaming here not at all no we don't like do i said here. kelly's not a garbage person no she is not so yeah the rednecks do kill one guy they get to go off and they end up when the big action everyone thrown from the truck at the end of the movie um so let's go ahead and jump towards the end i think we've talked about most of the rest of the movie because there's that's really most of what there is in the movie i want to talk before we before we book in uh, out of the rednecks we mm. were thinking there there'd have been a great piece of comic relief mm. if they'd have had like the rednecks which were hanging out with the sheriff by the end of it going sure. i think he killed one of the guys <laughs> yeah. who was dressed like him i'm pretty sure because we thought he was dead but it was like yeah. oh no he got another one <laughs> yeah michael stole like all of our guns and shot all of them at the same time yeah man yeah. totally so <laughs> that's, anyway that's how we see the the post movie because uh, yeah, but... you got to deal with that and that <laughs> right. is never brought up again yeah, it isn't that's weird like that's really weird that's an easy way for like the sheriff to to shut things down but that would have been a good plot point for five yeah we don't celebrate halloween because of this shit. yeah exactly but we'll talk about five. Okay. Yeah. No, no, I just wanted to. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. but you're absolutely correct. But <laughs> what I was referring to earlier about possible other kills that happened 10 years ago, I was thinking it was in part five. Again, it's jumbled in my brain. Yeah. It was actually one of these redneck guys. The, I think it was the owner of the bar, maybe. Because like two of them are supposed to be brothers, I think. Yeah, he's the one that's driving the truck at the end. Yeah. yeah. He says that his son was killed 10 years ago by Michael Myers. Yeah. Um, but looking into like cast lists and things... Like, his last name is not the same last name as Bob, who I initially thought was going to be his son. So, the consensus online, at least, is that we don't know who this kid is that he's referring to. So, maybe he's lying? Maybe he he's just be. doing that because he wants to go shoot things? Is it Ben Tramer's dad? We don't, uh, we don't it's see not his Tramer, dad. It's not Tramer either, though. Okay. And I, yeah, I don't know then. Any other dudes? Yeah, I just don't. I not don't. not of the age that would work. I mean, there were a few. There was Bud and there was the Sheriff. 
or not the sheriff, the security guy in the second yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's not gonna work. There was the mechanic in yeah. the first one that he killed out on the road on the way to Haddonfield, but that couldn't be it either. Let's just go with Bud. <laughs> why <laughs> not? Right? And the garbage person from yeah. there. Garbage yeah. person begats a garbage person. Yeah, why not? Sure. <laughs> yeah. But getting towards the end, so of course Michael Myers shows up at the house. He kills pretty much everybody. Anybody not worth saving. <laughs> yeah. And then you were telling me that the one of the climactic scenes in in that sequence anyway was supposed to involve a lot more fire. Yeah, so the idea of why they're getting on the roof in the first place. Mm. I guess they just kept this idea from the original script, but in the original script, Michael or somebody would mm. have caused I guess the fire that was lit during the sex scene yeah. to break out and start burning the house down. Yeah. So at that point, the only way out is to go to the roof and have that scary showdown there. That would so, have made a lot of sense. I mean, have. it does make sense that he, they had no option really other than to go up because Rachel had to find Jamie. There was there was this thing between like Brady pulling Rachel away and then Rachel being pulled away by Jamie, and they ended up going up, and the only way down was the stairs, so they mm-hmm. had to go out the window and get up on the roof. And then a a really cool cost-cutting thing, or at least as good of a cost-cutting moment as you can get in this one part here is the roof scene. Yeah. Because he said that, you know, we don't want to use harnesses and you can't use stunt doubles because the shots are so close up. So they built a thing, you know, a facsimile of this roof like out in the country. Oh, that's cool. And so that way you couldn't get hurt, you know. That makes sense, yeah, because yeah. you never see anything below the edge of the roof. It's just yeah. roof that you see yeah. until the stunt the for stunt Rachel fall. falling off. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah that was like, really cool. So, uh, really well done because, I mean, it's got the same kind of like, I could totally see that being the same yeah. roof, you know, yeah. you know, so. But it's fine. It's, it's sort of an iconic scene because I remembered it pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Um, it goes on for a little while. I don't know. It's it, but the ending afterwards feels a little bit tacked on, um, at, at least before the actual final final scene. Yeah. So they have the car chase with the rednecks show up and they actually serve a purpose, sort yeah. of, to have they pick up Jamie and Rachel as they're they're walking away. Yeah. And, and I love the idea that they're just going to blow town. Yeah. Like the, a, those smart people in a horror movie, they're yeah. like. Let's just leave town and yeah. let the cops that are we see coming the opposite way on the yeah. road. Because they actually got state troopers to come in. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and you see them coming in. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. the yeah, po- they call Posse them. has shown up. The yeah. real one. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but of course, once again, Michael hitches a ride. He hitches a ride like underneath the truck yeah, somehow. apparently. He's a big dude. Yeah. So I'm not sure how that works, but he did it. And he climbs up and he just starts like throwing people from the truck and stabbing people. Really pretty, one of the goriest scenes in the movie, maybe the goriest, when he reaches through the driver's side of the car window and just puts his hand in that guy's neck and just like rips it apart. Tears his throat out completely. It gets to that last showdown part. And apparently the ending would have been more violent too. I know you said, well, they fired 100 bullets. But... He was supposed to have been run over like four times by the truck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that would have been kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, didn't happen. No. I guess you can't transfer your killer instinct if you've been run over four times. You just don't have the energy to do it, right? Sure. Yeah, we're going to talk about that now, aren't we? Yes, we are. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you what I think about it. You tell me what you think about it. Okay. I'll tell you what the director thought about it. Okay. You start, Chris. You're the host. Okay. So, ends up where Rachel does hit Michael with the truck. 
because he ends up off the front of it. I don't remember how he gets there exactly. He just kind of falls off. Yeah. And she hits him and he falls back into this fence and then the cops show up and they blast him like 100,000 times. Well, no, before that, before that, after she hits him with the truck, Jamie yep. goes out. She gets out of the truck. She hasn't really had this connection with Michael so much in this movie, but mm-hmm. other than there's a few things throughout the movie that actually kind of pertain to this whole uh, debate situation. In the beginning, we talked about the dream she had of Michael in her closet. Yeah. So how would she know that if she wasn't connected? Or yeah. maybe she was told. We don't know. Yeah. In the drugstore, when she's getting the costume, Michael shows up. Apparently, it seems like a dream sequence or a vision of some sort. But apparently, he was really there because there's that shot of a hand grabbing the mask yeah. and going away. Yeah, and you see the truck outside yeah. before they go in. Some people miss that. Yeah. So. But you also see Jamie see herself as Michael in the clown costume. Yeah. There's something going on there. Yeah, yeah. We're not sure exactly what it is. Yeah. But that does pertain to this scene where after Michael has been hit by the truck, he's down. He's obviously not dead because of course they never are at this point but right. jamie doesn't know that she's a she's a kid and she walks over there as rachel is seeing that the police are arriving she's paying attention to that and jamie goes over and like holds his hand basically picks his hand up and so there's maybe a little bit of a debate between us um as to what happens there after that happens then jamie runs back away because rachel's like get out of there yeah. stupid and <laughs> So Michael stands back up, he gets blasted like a thousand times, he uh, he falls into the well, and then after that, there is... You don't a... see anybody like light a thing of dynamite and throw it down, yeah. like at the end of this one. Right, yeah. You know, so... Um, and then she's dead. After that, it cuts to back to Rachel's parents' house, they're all there, and the mother is like, we need to take care of Jamie, you want yeah. a bath? Like, I'll run sure. a bath for you. Mm-hmm. They go upstairs, and then you go to this first-person view... Jamie puts the mask on, and it's the recreation of the opening scene from the first movie, only with Jamie in the clown suit as she stabs yeah. the her foster mother. But you're not supposed to know it's her until you see her, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then she, Jamie comes out, uh, stops at the top of the stairs, holding the bloody knife. Yeah. We don't see what happens to the mom necessarily. And, right. and um, she apparently makes it. She doesn't die. She does, yeah. yeah. And But Dr. Loomis is there in the house because he's still worried about the kids. Yeah. And he's like, no. And he starts freaking out. And you see yeah. that recognition in his, his eyes. He's like, oh, no, it's happening all over again. Yeah. And so that's where the movie ends. I really like the ending. I like it a whole bunch. Okay. And But the debate that we might get into is, is this a mystical connection? Is this some sort of, I wouldn't say spiritual necessarily, but is, is it an evil that's passed on through that touch? Or is it just something that it's a trauma that happened to Jamie? To me, I don't think it's mystical in this movie. I think it's all completely normal. I think that the... Holding of Michael's hand while he's down and about to get shot is just a visual representation showing that she is connected to this person. This is her blood relative. Rachel is not blood. She takes care of her, but she's not her real sister. Michael is her actual uncle. And so Jamie realizes this at this point and she's like, wait a minute, this is like my only living relative at this point. And then after that all the trauma that she's gone through and hearing about how her mother was traumatized and died when she was a kid just kind of pushes her over the edge and she recreates what she heard when she was a child for that to be all the way true and i'm not saying it isn't Mm -hmm. she would have to realize 
that it's a truth that this entire time Michael has not been chasing her specifically. What do you mean? Well, I mean, they address some of this in five in the sense of there's an energy that he is drawn to about, you know, her, I guess, because she's a relative and he believes. You can't talk about five yet because that hasn't happened yet. All right. But okay. Okay. So locked into four here. Let's get back to four. But you do have to believe that she has to believe the character. Jamie has to believe that he was never after her in the first place. Because I don't know anybody who would sympathize with someone who's trying to kill you and then want to imitate you at the end I'm of the day. I'm not saying that's what's happening necessarily. Well, I mean, I'm trying to come up with possible explanations as to how this isn't mystical in any way. Sure. Okay? Sure. So that that's the only way I would be able to believe that that was the approach for this. That's basically what I have. Like, yeah, she saw him killed, quote unquote. Yeah. In front of her and like, oh yeah, I, I get the whole my only living relative thing. Yeah. And that's her only connection to family. But we established pretty early on that any problems that she might have with Rachel, it's just like big sister, little sister stuff. Yeah. No kind of murderous intentions, even though you talk about killing your sibling, I think, well, at some yeah. point in your life. <laughs> to their face, by the way. Let's just be clear right, about that. Yeah. I might have done it once. Uh and her foster parents seem to actually care for her and love her and everything. There's no, you don't, you don't seem, you, you don't, it's by the fact that they went to a party, but that's what adults we do. We don't see mistreatment. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't see her motivation. So that, that's the only thing. I need to see it because they have to tell me, oh, you're stupid. Let me explain this to you. Because I just assume that yeah. that's what all movies are doing to me. So. Uh, no, that's not true. I mean, it, it, for the most part. Yeah. Let's say especially in, in movies like this at this time. More simplistic movies, probably so. Yeah. So I, I just don't think it runs that deep, and I think they were trying to put it in that direction that this is a mystical transference of power. It could still be just, uh, like, they are blood relatives. There could be this thing in the family. There could be some sort of mental illness that predisposes these the, the Myers kids, basically. Um, it may not be in everyone. Of course, Lori never, apparently, we only saw Lori for one night, at yeah. this point so we really don't know her that well sure um but it could just be we don't know what trauma michael suffered before when he was a child no no so, we don't yeah i mean until other versions well yeah <laughs> but uh, we do see the only thing we really know about him initially is that his sister really didn't seem to care much for him and um did, was doing her own thing while she should have been taking care of him and the fact that jamie's mother isn't there and hasn't been for the entirety of the life that she can remember um has never been there i think that could play a similar role in forming jamie's mind even if she doesn't necessarily think i hate these people i want to kill them she may have this compulsion to do it um which is just a mental brain chemistry thing and not necessarily a mystical energy thing i mean clearly in the later movies they are working towards this mysticism and There is a touch of mysticism in the second one when they go to the hospital and they stops about Sam Hain and all this yeah, yeah. that gets brought up. But in this movie specifically, I don't. To me, it didn't come across as a mystical energy thing. It was yeah. a probably mental, post traumatic, post traumatic blood thing. Right. I I don't disagree. For, I just I just, I I think it's neat that apparently you can see it both ways yeah. though. And I like to see it that way more. So maybe I'm kind of sure pushing myself in that direction so here's the weird explanation from the director it's supposed to be basic in his uh, approach to how he answered this question Uh but he basically said 
I always asked Mustafa what the next move was here. You know, how do you want me to do this part? Like, are, is there going to be a sequel? Like, that's kind of yeah. what he was asking. And he never really got that answer. And he was just like, do what you want to do after a oh, while, right. apparently. So he goes, I approached this and we wrote this as a standalone. And as a cap off. Like, he's like, I wanted to make this so good that, you know, you couldn't follow it. Yeah. So, that being said, he goes, I tried to base this entire thing in reality. A oh, little yeah. more serial killer than Boogeyman, yeah. but obviously he's got these powers that can't be explained for some reason. He's so really hard to kill. He's yeah. hard to kill. So the approach was realism. Uh, he claims that the hand-holding scene is a transference of power, though, that being but said. But as a mystical power? I, I, I think he might have said mystical. I All just right. don't remember. I, I watched two commentaries back-to-back, right. and the other sure. one angered me so much. <laughs> The, the Halloween 4 commentary with the director yeah. is very good, that cool. being said. So he was just like, yeah, she was completely innocent all the way through until she held hands with him at the end. Yeah, and I can see that. I don't know. I guess I see it more from like a, a film-like perspective as yeah. in a metaphor and not necessarily a physical thing. Yeah. But it's neat that he wanted to end it with it coming full circle and you don't actually follow up on it. Like he was going to yeah. end with her just like that. He goes... That's how we should end the whole series. Like, that's the choice. I'm like, that's kind of neat, actually. That's pretty awesome, actually, because <laughs> the original ends in a similar but different fashion because it's Michael is gone and you have all the shots across yeah. the entire city of Haddonfield. It's yeah. that he's the boogeyman. Yeah. And in this one, since they have had to make more with Michael in them, the way it ends is this isn't just Michael. This can be anyone. It can be this little girl it can be whoever it's yeah. anyone can be um this killer and it's yeah. it's in all of us we may not even know it yeah and i i probably shouldn't have said like the mom's going to be okay because that may not have been that director's choice i in the script don't either. think it was i don't think it was she yeah. probably should be dead in yeah. this version yeah like if it stands alone yeah once again the dragon in its own tail so they, they make a lot of excuses in five yeah. to justify bringing back Daniel, first of all, as a sympathetic character. Yeah. But let's address that yeah. in number five. All right. But yeah, I, I guess that's about it. I don't know that I'm ever going to buy 100% that it is this like mystical thing. I don't. Th I, I oh. like to not think that it is. Oh, but somebody's coming. <laughs> somebody's <laughs> but, coming. But we will get to that. Before we get to that, though, I do want to run down the kill count for this one because there's a bunch of them. Yeah. The, so the director, Little, he said that in the interview that i read in fangoria that this is not a body count movie unfortunately when you add up the kills from one and two it is dwarfed by the kill count in part four he mm. he has more kills in this single movie than the first two combined wow um, there are 18 kills Ooh. in halloween part four 19 kills with a dog which is michael myers third dog to murder so it's now definitely an mo Yes. <laughs> and only one of these 18 was not killed by Michael. There was one, of the, of course, the rednecks killed the, the one dude. Ted Hollister, yeah. one of the few characters but, they named we don't even see. Right, but we'll put that, they'll pin that on him. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like I said, yeah. for convenience reasons. Right, in the thing, yeah. Um, so, running him down, first one was the transfer paramedic in the ambulance. He got the thumb in the skull, which mm -hmm. was probably a post thing it was that a was post. added. It was a post. Um, the next three... And the throat was a post, too, by the way. Oh, really? Or at least the gore... The, 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 the gore I think stuff, they went yeah. for more gore. They added, like, a they, close up or something. They may have... I feel like because of that shot where Rachel pushes him out of the truck, mm -hmm. I feel like maybe that was 
him just, not it, getting killed and he yeah. just threw him out of the truck so yeah it got covered for sure if that yeah. was the original intent but yeah anyway sorry. so some of these like those we'll get to those in a yeah, second yeah, are a yeah, little yeah, questionable sorry. But the, so the paramedic is the first one. There are three more paramedics that die, but we never see them. We just see the overturned ambulance and blood all around it. Although the blood was all over the outside. So apparently Michael had murdered them after they got out of the ambulance. I I mean, it's also possible that one of them may not have survived the crash. But yeah. let's put that, I think we can pin that all on them. If yeah. you're going to trial, that's definitely in your body count. <laughs> so according to the cops on the scene, that was four total so far. Uh, the mechanic at the gas station body shop diner place, he got the pole in the chest, yep. which was a pretty cool scene. Then number six was the waitress in the gas station. Yes. Uh, she was found dead. She looked like she was maybe strangled or something. Yeah. There's no physical wounds, but she looks kind of bluish. Very, very um, much. Yeah. Yes. And then a guy named Buddy who was working at the, the electrical yeah, the electric thing, company, electric yeah. company thing. Yeah. He gets electrocuted. That was pretty fun. Yeah. And um, he actually served a purpose because... Yeah. They, Michael being super smart, he was yeah. like, I need to shut down the power for this town. Yeah. So he did that by throwing a guy into and, electricity. And I didn't realize that he killed the phone lines because yeah. of what he did after the, he drove out of the diner. Like, oh, yeah. that that was him killing the, the phone lines yeah. off. That was explained yeah. in the commentary. Yeah. You know, oh, I was like, I had to learn I do it that way. That, yeah, because they made a point of showing that he had done that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's a super smart dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. Numbers 8, 9, and 10 on the kill count are three police officers that were found dead in the police station. I did have to cheat and go to an online thing because I couldn't tell how many cops were in there. Sure. Um, but there were apparently three. Then Ted Hollister, the aforementioned, the guy that we never see, was shot by the Rednecks. Does not count uh, for Michael, but it counts as a kill. Yeah. Uh, deputy Logan, who was the one, the do-nothing deputy in the house, he got... We didn't see him die either, but he was like... I think it was hard to tell what happened to him. He just, like, mangled or crushed or something. He was found, like, over beside the chair or something. Yeah. Um, I always said it's a shame he wasn't Captain Logan, because I could... Make the Deputy Van Halen joke from Bill and Ted. So. Well, you did anyway. So. I, I, I had to. Uh, number 13 was Kelly Meeker, the son of Sheriff Meeker. She was stabbed with a shotgun. That's the best kill on, uh, in my, for my money. That is my favorite kill of the movie. Kelly Meeker stabbed. Like, who stabs people with a gun? Yeah. Michael Myers does. Um, number 14 was the garbage person of the night, Brady. Um, his neck was broken in a pretty cool way up in front of that mirror on the second floor landing. And then the four rednecks, I'm counting all of them as a kill, even though one of them only gets thrown from the truck and but, doesn't even get stabbed. Yeah, he's he's got a really gnarly concussion, yeah. maybe for life, yeah. if, he, if he is not dead. Yeah, but... I, Counting all four of them, though. Okay, all right. So that's 18 total. I'm not counting the foster mother in this one because she was attacked, but we never fully know if she's dead or not, so I'm not counting her. Nobody, no murder, right? Nobody, no murder. Well, yeah. that's, that's not, not the case in this film. True, yeah. Like, you know, they they do explain that the teenager kid is dead. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Hollister. Yeah. Uh, so that that's that's good enough for me. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> as long as he's dead. Yeah, and then after the the shotgun impalement, yeah. he almost does that thing like from part one, yeah. where he looks to the side. He kind of tilts really his head. I really thought he was gonna. I'm glad he didn't. But that yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would have been all right with it. Yeah, but it would have been too. It's it's an over callback for sure because we already have a lot of him coming out of the shadows. And, yeah, but that whole yeah. that whole kill was definitely an homage to Bob getting murdered and oh. stabbed and stabbed against yeah. the wall. Because Kelly gets stabbed against the wall with a shotgun, yes. but, it's so, but it's bigger and it's bloodier. And I love how... I, that's a weird one, too, because I thought about this a lot. Probably more so than I should have. <laughs> Michael 
he has seen people use guns on him a lot now at this yeah. point. But he doesn't want to operate a gun the way normal people operate right. guns. Because he learns by watching, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But he just doesn't want to do it that yeah. way. It's it's more it's more gross if he does that instead right. of just shooting someone for yeah. some reason. All right. Uh, no breasts. <laughs> you sound disappointed. Damn. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> cast her for her breasts, Chris. I mean, I'm not saying she's a bad actress. I've never seen her or anything else, so I don't have any kind of you know reference she point. She doesn't really have many lines. Sure. Yeah. But... I mean, come on, man. Those are those are restaurant quality, as a All friend right. of ours would say. Okay. All <laughs> right. Well, we'll talk more about the, the thing that we kept trying not to talk about in this one, Halloween Part 5. We will get to that in the next episode of The Last of the Year's Halloween Retrospective, which you can find on cnjradio.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Everywhere else, go to cnjradio.com to check us out on there and look for all of the other CNJ Radio podcasts and shows. So we've already watched part five. I'm I'm gonna already I'm gonna spoil it a little more and say I did not like part five very much. There are pieces that I do like and I like some things, but there's so many weird choices in the movie. Um, it may not be a long episode. Yeah, I think it's worth saying twice because I'll do it again on the next one. Yeah. If you're going to watch something from this timeline, watch this one. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Reverend Jackson B. Sayer of Dumont County. Pleased to make your acquaintance. How far are you going, Mr. Sayer? God's country, promised land. Where are you heading, Mr. Uh... Loomis? Haddonfield. You're hunting it, ain't you? Yeah, you're hunting it, all right. Just like me. What are you hunting, Mr. Sam? Apocalypse, end of the world, Armageddon. It's always got a face and a name. You can't kill damnation, mister. You don't die like a man dies. I know that, Mr. Sayer.